guys doing? You guys good? You good? You excited to be here? Yeah. How many would rather be at the race? Yeah, me either. All right, good. Uh, this is all the non-race fans right here. This, this is, these are the people that really love Jesus. That's what it is. It's uh, Jesus more than racing, maybe. I don't, I'm just kidding. And uh, for those of you listening to this on the podcast, we know that you really love Jesus. Um, you just love Dale Earnhardt Jr. too. So uh, no, no, no love lost. We're, we're, we're glad. <laughs> and I got people shaking their heads like, no, I don't, I don't know. This FYI, I know nothing about racing. I picked the only name I knew. All right, just don't. I'm not a fan. I don't, I don't have a driver whatever. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm a teaching pastor here at Fusion, and most weeks I have the opportunity to come up here, and we look at the, the scriptures, and we open it together, and we read some, and just trying to figure out this whole walk with Christ thing together, because I believe that that, that has to be done together, that, that none of us on this side of eternity have the ability to figure out how to do that perfectly at all, and, and we stand a much better chance of doing it well when we do it together. And so this is a journey that we are on as a family of faith here at Fusion City. Uh, If you're hanging out with us for the first time today or the first time in a long time, we're so glad to have you. We're we're grateful that you decided to come here. We know you could have picked a lot of other places. You could have been at the race. You could have been doing something else. But the fact that you're here, it really means something to us. And we're really, really glad that, that you're with us here this morning. Uh, You called us today uh, in the second week of a series that we started last week called If You Will Ask. And this is a study about or a series about this idea of of prayer. And last week we said, or I said, that, um, that your prayers will not change God's mind or force God's hand. That was kind of that was the starting point last week. And then we defined prayer. We said that the purpose of prayer rather is then to align our hearts with the heart of God. And so it was a pretty tense uh, subject matter last week. A lot of you looked at me last week like the, like the scary guy with two heads or something. I don't know, it was kind of weird. And uh, we, we've kind of got some pushback and some feedback throughout this week of some of the discussions that happened in our connect groups. And if you left here angry last week and weren't really sure about whether or not you really agreed with what the pastor said and you're not in the connect group, then you didn't have an opportunity this week to really kind of hash some of that stuff out with some other believers, did you? No, you didn't, which is why we always say get in a connect group. You need to be in a connect group. Now, a lot of y'all left last week confused and challenged, and I don't know, I don't know, do I agree with him? Is he right? Is Is that how it works? Is this not how it works? And you didn't have anybody else to talk to. Right? Connect groups are important and we really want you to be involved in them. So uh, based on what we did here from our connect groups this week, I wanted, to, I wanted to address two schools of thought from last week. I don't normally go back and recap and reteach anything from the week before, um, but I did this week want to address two uh, trains of thought that kind of seem to be consistent in a lot of the connect group facilitators that I was talking to. And one is that when we pray with this idea that God's will is sovereign, that his plan is set, that he is perfect and needs no change. And when we pray in that vein, that could lead us, it could, the potential exists for that to lead us into a mentality of either, well, then I have no hope for my situations that, that I find myself in, they're difficult, or if God's already laid it out in front of me, then why even bother praying? So those are kind of two of the, the questions that we heard this, this week. And I really wanted to spend just a few minutes before we look into, into some new and, and very practical content for this week. I wanted to address that mentality. So, so, so number one, 
when we believe that God has already ordained the, the days of our lives and orchestrated the direction of our lives, we have no hope when we find ourselves in difficult situations. That, that, was, the, that was one of the, the schools of thought that we heard kind of um, was common in some of our connect group conversations this week. So let me address that for a moment. It, that's not true. We do have hope. If you guys remember back, it's been, I don't know if you were with us six, eight months ago, I can't remember now, but we preached this message about hope. And we said that in order for us to have hope, hope has to be tied to something. That hope requires an anchor. Otherwise, it's just a birthday wish. You guys remember that? Me talking about how grossed out I get at birthday parties when the kids spit on the cake trying to blow the candles out. You remember that? Talked about a little bit, like it's nasty. Like here, eat this cake that my kid just spit on. Like that's what I get from most kid birthday parties. And we've, if we're not careful, then we can turn our hope and what we hope for into the birthday wish with just about as much expectation of it coming true as our birthday wishes. I never got the pony that I asked for and I'm still not a, uh, an astronaut. Like neither, those were birthday wishes of mine. Neither of those came true. I never really expect them to. Why? Because it's a birthday wish. So we need to be careful then that we do not turn our motivation for, for praying, our motivation for, for approaching the throne of our heavenly father into a birthday wish. Because our hope is not anchored then to the changing of our situation, but rather in the God that has ordained the situation and what we know about his nature and his character. Our hope is anchored and tied to God himself, who is a good, loving, perfect heavenly father. We do not hope in hope, we hope in Christ. And our hope in Christ always delivers because he is the one who cares infinitely for us in our situations. So we should pray. We should approach the throne of grace, God's throne, with our concerns and our requests because when we do, we demonstrate that our hope is not in some obligatory answer to a question, but our hope is tied to a God who loves, appreciates, cares for, and wants to hear from his children. Our hope is anchored in God. Because let me, let me, let me, let me caution you. If our hope is that God will change our situation with it being outside of his will, our hope is that we get our own way, not that we will get God's way. You tracking? When our, when our hope is tied to the situation, we miss the forest for the trees. The trees being our situation, the forest being God's infinite and perfect plan. When our hope is that my situation will change because I want it to happen and because I want it to be a certain way and because I wanna see this and I wanna see that, Despite what God wants, when we hope in just the situation itself, we lose sight of our greater hope that is anchored and tied to our heavenly, perfect, loving, gracious, and righteous Father. Does that make sense? See, he like this. Make me feel good. Lie to me, even if you just, just tell this. Okay, good. So second question that we need to address that I want to go back and catch it from last week, that is if God has already ordained everything, why even bother praying? And here's, <clears throat> excuse me, here's the answer. Because our prayers do, in fact, heighten and raise our awareness of God's presence in our situations. And God wants to hear from his children. There is no good, healthy relationship on this side of eternity or otherwise that doesn't involve some kind of communication. Listen, I'm, I'm an okay dad compared to God. Like I, I do okay. Love my kids. Take care of them. 
None of, neither of them have ever, ever missed a meal or slept um, somewhere without a roof, like, intentionally. Like they've, they've camped a few times, but we did that on purpose, right? And even then we had some canvas, okay? I've never, never purposefully or intentionally done my children harm. And I would, as a, as a decent okay father, I would, would do some good things for my daughters, whether they ever spoke to me or not. Why? Because they're my daughters. I'll do good things for them because they are my children and that's what good fathers do. But can I tell you what I love more than just about anything else on the face of the planet? And I'm running out of time because there's six and eight and I realize I don't have a lot of time for this left. But I love when I'm sitting on the bed or I'm sitting on the couch and one of them would just come up and sit next to me and say, Daddy, I want to tell you something. And they tell me the most irrelevant and insignificant thing on the face of the planet. Like, I ate grapes today. Awesome, baby. That's great. I'm, do you like grapes? Yes, I love grapes. They were good. Like, it's, it's irrelevant to anything going on in the world. But the fact that, they, that she would take the time to come and to sit on my lap and just to tell me this completely insignificant and irrelevant thing blesses and warms and changes. Like, like, you are my favorite child in the world right now. Ask me for anything. You'll get it. Like, you're my favorite right now. Because you told me you loved grapes. And the same that is true for, for me as a decent father is even more substantially true for our heavenly perfect father who will, good, who will give good gifts to his children. Why? Because we're his children. He does it because he's a good father. But do you know what, what affects God's heart as much as anything else on the face of this planet? Is when his children pray. When we come to him when we talk to him, when we tell him what's on our mind. And, and honestly, let's just, be, let's just be clear. A lot of the stuff that goes on in our life that we're going to go and tell our Heavenly Father about in the grand scheme of his cosmic plan from eternity past to eternity future, like my situation may be insignificant or irrelevant. It may be. Let's, let's step outside of ourselves for a minute and say my situation in God's cosmic plan might not be, God, my leg hurts, might not, be, might not have any impact on God's cosmic plan from eternity past to eternity future. Eternity future. But do you know what God loves? God loves to hear from his children because he's a good father and he delights in it. And we should delight in it as well. So we do have hope, always, in every situation, because our hope is not tied to the circumstance. Our hope is tied and anchored to our Heavenly Father. It's a perspective shift that has to take place when we pray. And we should pray, always. One, because God just likes it when we pray. You know, the same God saved you, gave you an eternity, a hope, a future, a purpose, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, all that stuff. Like gave you all that stuff. Oh, now what can I do to honor him? He wants to hear from you. God wants you to pray. And secondly, and we talked a little bit about this week, when we pray, it aligns our heart with God's heart. In other words, prayer helps us to understand God's will. God's will. 
You guys have probably heard this occasionally or from other people. I'm, I'm really just trying to, to figure out what God's will is for my life. Anybody ever heard that? If you become a preacher, you hear it all the time from all of you. And it's great because, because trying to figure out what God's will is, that's a good thing. Like we want you to try and figure out God's will. You may help you. You may help you figure out what God's will is. Let's read a verse. The Bible tells us. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul writes, rejoice always. Pray. Did you catch that? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Which circumstances? All circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God. Pastor Brown, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, because it's not about the circumstances, is it? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God's will is? It's for you to rejoice in him, to pray all the time. I read a quote from a guy that says, I never pray more than 20 minutes, but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. I like that. That, that kind of describes my prayer life. I'm not one of those sit down for two hours and pray. I can't do it. ADD, grocery list, stuff I got to get done, all that stuff in there. Now, I can't pray for more than 20 minutes, but, I, but this is how God and I communicate. About every 15 or 20 minutes, God and I are having some kind of conversation about something. Pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Give thanks in all circumstances. We, we have to be careful with our motivations as it pertains to our prayer life because the only reason, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the only reason that we would have a problem with prayer not directly affecting our circumstances is when we are insistent that we get our own way. Did you know that? Let me say that again so you have a little bit of time to process it and you can be angry at me a little more. The only reason that you would have for prayer not directly affecting the mind of God so that he will change your circumstances is if you are still insistent on getting your way instead of his. So we've talked a lot about what prayer isn't. We've given some warnings. We've talked about how we should think about it, how we should approach it. So I want to get really practical with you today and teach you how we are to pray how we should pray. And the good and wonderful news for us is that there's a really clear teaching in Scripture of how we are to pray. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1, uh, sorry, I'll skip to that in a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. But Luke 11, chapter 1, Jesus is is hanging out with his disciples and and they're sitting around and they ask him, teach us how to pray. And Jesus does just that. He teaches them how to pray. And so we're going to walk through that model together. It's in Luke 11 and it's in Matthew 6. We'll look at both of them together here in just a minute. But before we do, here's what I want to, I don't know what your background with prayer is. So I grew up in church. And I've had lots and lots of experiences with, with listening to other people pray. And, and so I, I grew up thinking that prayer was supposed to look a certain way and supposed to be a certain way. And as I've kind of grown and matured, I've seen that change throughout the years. When I started out trying to figure out how to pray, I had my, my great uncle, 
as an example. He prays in the King James. Anybody know somebody like that with the these and the thous? And thou, Holy Father, we ask thee today to bless us. Of I can't do it. I still can't do it. I've been a pastor for 10 years now. I still can't pray in the King James. I, just, I'm, I don't know if that's a holiness thing or a sanctification thing, but I can't do it. But I grew up thinking, that's how, like if you really want God to hear you, you pray in the King James. These and thous and the whole deal. I couldn't do it. So I, for a long time, I felt like I couldn't pray. And then you get in a youth group when you're like a teenager, right? And you pray the circle prayers and you hold hands. You guys remember that? And then when I'm done praying, I'll squeeze your hand. And then when you get done praying, you squeeze the hand next to you and it goes in a circle. And I would always, I don't know if I just always picked like the wrong spot in the circle or whatever, but I was always kind of near the end of the circle. And so like I'd be kind of kind of listening to what everybody else was saying, but then I'm only kind of planning out what I'm going to say so I don't sound weird. You know what I'm talking about? And so then as, I, as we're going around the circle and they'd pray and they'd say everything I was going to say. Now I can't say it because it sounds like cheating. Right, and so like it'd go around, it'd go around a circle, and like they, she, she'd pray for what I was gonna pray for, and then he'd ask what I was gonna ask for, and they get to me, and I just, oh, I get my hand squeezed, I just squeeze the next hand, just pat, move that bug, move it on down the line, like I got nothing else to say, right? And they, they, everybody, everybody took all mine. I, I was gonna say that, but he took mine. Like I, what, you, you can't say that, but you're thinking that, and so you just get to squeeze, squeeze, like you just move it on down the line, bubba, just keep it going, like I, I'm out, like I'm done. So this is this is my this is my history with prayer. And then I became a pastor and people expect you to pray out loud and at every meal for every family gathering that I go to, it's like, all right, the food's out, Brian, like then that's like this now, that's, that's my role at, at Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. Like I'm just, it's just the expectation. They don't, they don't even ask anymore. It's like they, they started, would you like to pray for us? Now it's just, all right, it's time to pray, Brian. Like, that's, just, that's how it works now. Just it's the role, that's what I do. So, so maybe you've got some some misconceptions or maybe you just need a model for how to pray. And what's really great about this teaching in scripture is that Jesus makes it super, super practical and really easy for us to follow. So this is what's going on. Um, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse one. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's important for us to remember that these were, these were Jewish guys. The disciples, these guys that were following Jesus around, they, they were Jewish. They knew some prayers. The, the Jewish system of, of honoring God and responding to God was very ritualistic. Like they knew some prayers to pray. They had probably been taught and memorized prayers growing up. But in this case, they look at Jesus who is praying and they obviously notice that something's different. Like the way that this dude prays is not how we've been taught how to pray. Something about the way he talks to his heavenly father is different than how we've been taught to talk to our heavenly father. Something is up. They knew how to pray, but they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he taught them something that that we typically refer to as the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard it. You might even have it memorized. For me, the first time that I ever heard the Lord's Prayer was playing high school baseball. That's the first place, that's like I grew up in church. The first time I ever heard or memorized or even said the Lord's Prayer was at baseball. And we would say it before we played every single game. We'd get together, we'd huddle, one dude would kneel down, we'd all put our hands on him and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. But it was more like a, something we did just to do more than it was actually asking God to be blessed by our efforts on the ball field that day. There was not very much thought about, <laughs> about God's presence with us on the baseball field. It was just what you were supposed to do before 
you played the game. And so we'd get together and we'd pray this, this Lord's Prayer. And it became more like a formula and more like this thing that you're just supposed to recite. But, but it's not a liturgy. It's not something that we are to recite. What Jesus was actually giving us was an, was an outline for prayer. How we should. As a matter of fact, we're going to, he said that in Luke 11, but the, a better, in my estimation, a better more clear presentation of the prayer is found in Matthew 6. They, they say the same thing. Matthew just writes it out a little more clearly. So let's look together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And Jesus says, pray then like this. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. And I've met a lot of people and maybe even some of you, and it's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with praying this prayer verbatim. But more than it was something for us to recite, it was something for us to learn from and model our prayers after. So he says, he doesn't say pray this prayer. He says, pray then like this. And then he gives us an outline for prayer. So let's look at some, some things together that, that our prayers should be modeled after. And Jesus says, start like this. Our Father in heaven. Now, now we talked already about this relationship of God with us, that he's our heavenly Father. And that's not some throwaway term that, that Jesus used for, for God. No, that there's some significance to us thinking about God as our Father. And what Jesus is telling us here is that as we begin our prayer, as we begin to communicate with our heavenly Father, just call him that, Father. So if you're looking for, for the outline to write down and follow along, you can write this down. We, first, we should start by connecting with God relationally. Start your prayer relationally, not formally, right? Like the whole, I mean, I'm not, again, nothing against the whole King James prayers. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it's, oh, holy father, thou art in my presence and I beseech thee. Like there's not, nothing like that. Like I've got some, some friends, uh, some pastors and some other guys that, that have even changed, that they don't call him father, they'll call him daddy or papa or, or dad something more endearing because it reminds them to connect with God. Now, I still say Father, just all cards on the table, but that to me is, hey, Father. And it's not like, oh, Father. No, it's just, hey, Father, I really need whatever, I need you today. Start by connecting with God relationally. Second, he says, so that's kind of step one. We want to connect with God in a relational way. And then he goes on to this thing, and he says, hallowed, be your name. Now, hallowed or hallowed, depending on, you know, how you say it or where, where you read it or whether or not you're reciting it because you have to say hallowed so that it keeps the meter. Um, but, but that's not a word we use very often, hallowed. I don't, I, don't, I don't hallow very many things in my life. It's not a word that it's in my common vocabulary. Um, if it is yours, don't talk to me because your vocabulary is like, I won't understand anything you're saying. I'm simple. Um, here's what it means. It means that we're to worship his name. So the first thing we want to do is we want to connect with God relationally. The second thing we want to do is we want to worship his name. His name. Hallowed is your name. And so a great way to do this, just if you're looking for some examples, is we can pray to God his names. There are lots of names for God in scripture. Let me give you like eight of them. All right, here's some examples of some things that, that God is some names for scripture that, or some names for God that we see show up in scripture. God is provider. 
It's just worship him. Pray, pray back to him. God, I understand that you're my provider. That every day when I get up, you're the one that gives me the things that sustain me. I'm here today, God, because you provided another day for me. He's our healer. God, any sickness that is not in me today is a result of your hand because you are healer. I believe that, that diabetes and cancer and none of those things have dominion over me because, God, you have dominion over those things. You're my healer. God, you're the one that protects me. Every day that we wake up and we are healthy, let's praise him for that. Let's praise his name who is our healer. Let's worship him for that. He's our sanctifier. It's God and his presence in our life, the Holy Spirit, that is continually making us more and more like his son, Jesus. He's the one who sanctifies and purifies us. He's our peace. Come on, how many of you need peace today? Amen? He's our peace. So we can worship him that his name is peace. God, you are my peace. If you were in Connect Group this week, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 that says that if we'll come to God in prayer and petition by all things and make our requests known to him, that the peace of God that transcends our understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He is our peace. He's our righteousness. He's the one that, that, that takes us from our sinful condition and moves us into a place where we can be in his presence. He is the one that extends to us righteousness and he is in return our righteousness, the one that we are after, the one that we seek. He's our righteousness. He's our shepherd. In, 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 the, in the Bible days, in the times when scripture was being written, this was a very endearing term because everybody understood the relationship between sheep and shepherd. The sheep would be lost and, and in danger and find themselves in harm's way and not be cared for if it were not for the shepherd. One of the names for God in scripture is he is our shepherd. His name is there. Just, just there. Like that's, his, that's a name for God in scripture that he is there. Everywhere you go from the depths of the earth to the highest of heavens, he is there. His name is there. He is the there. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but when, when Moses was going to tell the people, right, and who do I tell them sent me? You tell them I am. You are what? Yes. Like God is there. He's where? Everywhere. Wherever you go, he is there. His name is there. I praise a God and I worship the name of there. You are there. Where? Yes. They just everywhere. He's there. So we connect with him relationally. We worship his name. He's the banner of victory. He is the one who has, he already, know, he already wrote the end of the book. Y'all know that? If you read the end, we win. I don't know if you knew that or not. Like at the end of the book, we win. He is our banner of victory so that we don't have to walk in fear or shame or anxiousness or worry, but we can walk in victory. Why? Because we serve and worship a God who is the, who is the victory. That's him. When you went into battle, you did so under a banner of the one that you're walking into battle with. What does God's banner say? We've already won. Can you imagine walking into battle with that banner? Like, I don't even know why you're here to fight us. You've already lost. How cool is it that we belong to the God whose banner just says victory? It's already done. Don't, don't, don't do it now, it'd just be sad. Don't, don't clap now, I just, but, but thank you. Relationally, 
worship his name. Next, Jesus says, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice one word two times. Your kingdom, your will, your and your. So we got, we got to get on board with your before we get on board with your. You know what I mean? Like we got to get on board with him before we get on board with us. It's all about his will and his kingdom. We, we started this year saying that this year the, the, the key thought or the thing that was going to frame out our year as Fusion City Church is that in this year, 2016, we were going to be the kingdom. Here's what be the kingdom means. I'm submitting myself to the king. That every, that I submit my will, my desires, what it is that I want and what I long for. God, I submit all of that to you. Any relationship that matters to you, you consider their agenda above your own, don't you? Your spouse, your children, your friends. You're not a very good friend if you always consider your agenda above what everybody else wants. No, what makes us good friends, what makes us good spouses, what makes us good parents, and what makes us good children is when we have the willingness to submit our agenda to somebody else's. What makes us good followers of our king is that we submit our agenda to his. So third, we submit to his agenda if you're taking notes. So we connect with God relationally, we worship his name, and we submit to his agenda. Next, Jesus says, we should say this, that give us this day our daily bread. And here's the truth for most of us in this room today. You don't, in this moment right now, need God to provide for you your next meal. You got some money in the bank. You already got lunch in the crock pot on the counter at home. But Jesus says that every day and every time we pray, we should, we should tell God or ask God to give us this day our daily bread. We should ask for the things that we need even when we don't need them. Why? Because it reminds us, it reminds us that if it were not for God, that we would have a need, that dinner wouldn't come if it were not for his hand and his blessing. The book of James tells us that all good things come from God. Food is a good thing. Y'all know I love some food. Food is a good thing. And if, it, if it's a good thing and we got it, it came from him. So every time we pray, we should thank God for the things that we have. Pray for what you need even when you don't need it because it reminds you that it didn't come from you. So the next step in the outline is to this, to depend on him for everything. Remember 1 Thessalonians? It said pray continuously. Pray all the time. Why? Because every time we're praying, we're telling God that we understand and we recognize that everything we need and everything we have comes from him. And anything that we want, if we get it, is going to come from him as well. Depend on him for everything. Jesus goes on and says, pray this, to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You guys ever heard the expression that you don't know where you're going until you realize where you've been? Something like that. There's nothing that'll make you more forgiving than to remember that you were forgiven. So the next step in the outline is this. We're to remember your sins and his forgiveness. 
Because when we remember and focus and, and heighten our awareness of the forgiveness that's been extended to us, we then realize how much more we should be forgiving to other people. There's a church in South Carolina called New Spring. One of their core values is this, that forgiven people forgive people. I like that. It's easy to remember, and it's so true. When we, when we walk fully in remembering our sin and the forgiveness that we have become, that we've received, it makes it so much easier for us to extend that to somebody else. And finally, he says, lead us not into temptation, which is not a great translation. We'll get to that in a second. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, God never leads us into temptation. The, the, the better translation for this, and most English translations have something like that, but the better translation is do not allow us to be led into temptation would be the better translation here. Elsewhere in scripture, it says that God does not tempt man. God does not push us towards anything that would be sinful. So God never tempts. So he's not saying God don't tempt me. He's saying don't allow me to be led into temptation. And here's, here's the thought behind this part of the prayer, this outline. Today, I'm gonna have an opportunity to sin. And God, when that opportunity comes, I need you to help me make a wise decision. Every single day, we have a chance We're going to be tempted every single day. We're going to have an opportunity to do something that offends or hurts God. Can I give you some helpful advice on resisting temptation? Because all of us are tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Just just clarify. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in. Let me tell you one of the, the preliminary or primary ways that you can avoid Falling when tempted is prayer. The more you have prayed about a situation, the far less likely you are. Why? Because your awareness is heightened. The first step in overcoming anything is to admit that there's a thing. And there's a propensity in our culture to just kind of hide things away. And like if I... If I, if I can't see it, then it didn't happen, right? Like if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Or if I don't talk about it, I can handle it. But the minute that we speak about something, the minute that we, that we become aware of something, the more ability we have to overcome that thing if it's a temptation for us. So every time we go to God and say, God, today I know I am going to be tempted to lust. Today, God, I'm going to be tempted to cheat. I'm going to be tempted to be selfish. I'm going to be tempted to get my own way. I'm going to be tempted to do something dishonest or to tell a lie or to do something that's for my gain at the expense of somebody else. God, today, I'm going to be tempted of those things. If you pray that prayer in the morning and then you run up against a temptation at 2 p.m. and your mind immediately goes back to, you know, this morning I prayed because I knew that there was going to be an opportunity for, for me to lust today. I just had this conversation with, with a guy that's hanging out with us in the office right now, our intern for the summer, Jeffrey. He's an amazing young man. Y'all need to meet him. But Jeffrey's hanging out with us, and we had this conversation this week, and I, I, used, I used the issue of lust because that's something that's been a big part of my past that I've had to overcome. I'm, I'm not cured from it. Every day, every day I have the opportunity to follow my thoughts down a road that would be unwholesome for, for my life, for my marriage, and, and, un, and dishonoring to my God. Every single day I have, I have that opportunity. 
But in the morning when I get up, this is a prayer that I pray every day. God, today I'm going to be tempted to lust. Help me. Here's what happens. When that temptation comes, when that thing pops up on my social media, when, when that girl walks by the window of my house or our office, I remember that this is the opportunity that I prayed about, that I knew was going to come today. And I'm reminded of what I prayed. What would happen if I didn't pray? There's no reminder. And then I don't tie that temptation to what it is that I've asked God to help me with. That's why God tells us to pray without ceasing about all situations. Why? Because it heightens our awareness of temptation. And here's what you got to know about temptation. Whether you believe this or not, I believe it to be true. You don't have to agree with me to be, but you have the right to be wrong. We have an enemy, the devil, who works and fights every single day to destroy us. Because he hates you. And he wants nothing more than to derail that which God is at work in. And if God is at work in you, so is your enemy, the devil. And there is a battle that is going on in a realm in which we cannot see. Where he is fighting against you. So any day that you do not fight against your enemy, the devil, he's working harder than you are. Let me say that again. Any day that you do not fight against sin is a day that your enemy has worked harder to defeat you than you've worked to defeat him. We can't be desensitized to the issue of sin and the battle that's going on all around us. And we can look at our situations and we can look at our circumstances and we can talk all day about the things that we want to see God change. But here's what we got to really understand is that every single day God calls us to engage in spiritual warfare. There's a very real battle that is going on and it's going on in a realm in which you cannot see. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Jesus said, every day you need to pray this prayer. Lead, us not, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What evil? From the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is what your war is waged against when you pray. Not against your circumstances. Not against your situation. Your war is waged against Spiritual forces that you cannot see. Now, if you take notice, each step in this outline, when we said that we're to connect with God, to worship, to submit, to depend, to remember, and to engage, all of those are words of action. The model prayer that Jesus gave was for us to engage, for us to do something, to be people of action when we pray, that our prayer should not leave us as just that praying person in the same place that we were, but that we are to do something with what we pray. I pray for the purpose of doing something. What do I do when I pray? I connect, I depend, I remember, I engage. 
These are all things that God desires for us to do when we pray. The prayer that Jesus modeled for us was all about how approaching our heavenly father impacts and changes us. And I know that for a lot of us, we're still maybe wrestling with this idea of the effective prayer on God. And I need you to hear me say this. Your prayer may not change God's mind and it may not force God's hand, but it does affect God's heart. It's a privilege for us to pray. You know what? It's a privilege for us that in our imperfection and in our sin, that God should have no part of us. It should have nothing to do with us. What, what, what fellowship can light have with darkness? But yet in his love for us, it helps me to know that God was not okay with a distant people who could not connect with him so much, in fact, that he made a way for us to be able to connect with him. Where he said that those are, those are the people that I created so that I could love them and so that they could love me. And now in their sin, they have no fellowship with me. And I got to do something about that. And he did by sending his son Jesus to die in our place and to take our sin, to take our punishment. Why? So that we could be redeemed and reconciled and reconnected with our heavenly father. It's a privilege for us to even be able to approach him. He gave us his son. He gave us Jesus. And he offered to help us handle life. And not only did he, did he offer to help us handle life, but he offered to help us when we can't handle how he's handling our life. That in all situations, we can come to him. We can come to him when we have a desire because he wants us to make our request known to him. We can come to him when we're in pain and we can come to him when, when things are going great and we can come when things are going poorly. We can go, we can come to him in anger. Did you know that? Did you know you can be angry with God and he's big enough to handle it? Anybody ever been angry at God? I've been there. Been angry at him and prayed angry prayers. And, and he, he's my heavenly father and he, he hears my prayer even in my anger and loves me. And wants to help me even through my anger. He's still a good and perfect father that gives good gifts even in my anger and my disappointment. How incredible is the love of a God who can hear every kind of prayer from his children and love us just the same? I've given you an outline. How to pray, I didn't give it to you, Jesus did. It's not the Lord's prayer, it's your prayer. He said, pray like this. This is, this is yours, take it, own it. But it doesn't matter if you pray according to your outline and you sit down and you got the names of God there in front of you and you pray his names back to him. And No, God wants to hear from his children. Why? Because he loves you. And that's what prayer does. Prayer strengthens a relationship. It's communication, us to God. He reveals to us, we respond in prayer. That's how it works. And he's big enough and he's loving enough. 
He's gracious enough and he cares enough to hear our prayer. And don't think that your prayers have no effect just because your circumstances don't change. No, your prayers affect the heart of God. You bless him as he blesses you. You're faithful to him as he's faithful to you. That's what prayer does. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to tell God everything that I can think to tell him about what I know about him. And I want to honor him for who he is. I want to worship his name. I want to ask him for the things that I need, even though I don't need them today. Because I know that he's my source. I want to tell him that I depend on him for everything. I want to submit my will and my agenda to his because I'm trying to be the kingdom. And I can't do that without submitting to the king. And I want to tell him that I'm going to engage in spiritual warfare. That I'm going to fight against the evil forces that I can't even see. And the only way that I, knew, the only way that I know to fight against things I can't see is pray to the God that I can't see but that I know was there. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And let's do that which we've been talking about this morning. Father, Daddy, we believe that you hear us when we pray. And it is an amazing thing for us, God, to even know that we can pray that we can speak to the creator of the universe and that he hears us. God, we know that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are our help in times of trouble, that you are our shepherd, our redeemer, our healer, our provider. God, you're the anchor for our hope. You're the source of strength for our soul. God, you are holy. Father, we as a church, even in these moments, just beg and ask that, God, you would bend our will. God, there's a lot of us in here stubborn. And we want it our way. God, I ask even now that you would just, God, show us your glory and your presence and help us, God, then to see that your ways are higher than our ways, your understanding higher than our understanding. And that which you desire for us is greater than what we could desire for ourselves, greater than anything we could ask or imagine. So, Father, would you help us to submit ourselves to your agenda, to your will. Because we know, God, that everything we have, everything that we need, everything that we want, God, it's all from you. God, we are depending on you because we believe that every good and perfect thing is from above. It's from you. We're grateful. God, we'd ask that you forgive us of our sin. Because we know that without the forgiveness of sin that we are unable to be in your presence. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who 
through him, God, we can be in relationship and fellowship with you. God, we, we know and believe that in him we are forgiven. Thank you, God, for the give, forgiveness of our sin. And we ask, God, that we would carry that which we have been given, that it would flow through us and be imparted to those that we interact with every day, that, God, you would make us forgiving people because we've been forgiven. God, if there's any unforgiveness, unforgiveness in our hearts, God, would you search us, find us, find it, help us, God, to let go and let you. God, we know that every day our enemy fights, that he desires to tear away, that he is, he prowls around looking for someone or something or some relationship, some marriage some job, some opportunity. God, he looks to devour and to tear away that which you are building within us. So God, we ask for your strength as we fight, as we engage with things that we cannot see and forces that are more powerful and stronger than us that have been doing this for a lot longer than we've been alive. God, we can't fight that fight on our own. We need you. So God, help us. Because, God, we know that you are a good and loving Father. We know that you love us, that you hear us, that you care. God, I pray that in this moment, as we continue to worship, as we continue to pray, as we continue to read and to listen, that, God, every part of you would overwhelm all that is us. That you would fill this place in such a powerful way that, God, we would leave knowing that we have been in your presence and that we have been changed by the power of your word, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can even pray those prayers and have that hope because of your son, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name, the name that is above every other name, that we pray. Amen.